Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you'll learn from the experiences of America's most innovative and successful farmers as they shorten your learning curve, increase your yield, ROI, and profit. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Sylvius Financial, the company that offers customized risk management solutions for your farming operation. Sylvius Financial integrates crop insurance with government programs and grain and cattle marketing to achieve profitability for your farm. And now, here is your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. Way more than just a podcast, it's videos, it's articles, it's a website. You know what it is? It's a forum and a format for you to learn to take your farming game to the next level. Today, we're talking about commodity marketing made simple. You know, I'm going to just admit right now. I'm just going to admit right now, I have a degree in agricultural economics. I took agricultural economics 320, commodity marketing, grain marketing, and I still do not know the difference between a put and a call. I'm not sure I understand a lot of this stuff. I don't need to market my own grain, so I've never really gotten good at this stuff. Frankly, some of it's intimidating. If it's intimidating to me, I'm guessing there's other people out there that are a little bit intimidated also. So here's what I'm thinking. Let's bring in the experts. And that's what we're doing on this episode. We've got Sean Finley. He is a senior risk advisor and commodity trader with Sylvius Financial. He's joined by Bryce Goose. Bryce has been on this program before. And we talked about everything from crop insurance integrated with government programs, integrated with your commodity marketing. So I proposed to these guys, I said, you know what, let's bring in the experts and let's talk about commodity marketing made simple. Let's call this episode Commodity Marketing 101. Thanks for being here. Bryce, thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Sean, you've been at this a couple years longer than uh, Bryce. Before I hit record, you said something I thought was interesting. You said, I really think that, and then take me from there. I, I really think that, I mean, this is a topic that, you know, you said you came up with, but I really think it's true that there's a lot of producers out there, regardless of their size, that really don't have a great understanding of marketing. You know, they're what they really love to do is farm and grow production agriculture and marketing isn't their favorite thing to do. And it just kind of gets thrown on the back burner. Bryce, uh, your perception, uh, are there folks out there that, cause I think you focus on what you're good at. Uh, you, you, if you're really good at doing bench presses, go to the gym. That guy that was over there doing 400 pound bench presses, his legs usually look like this pin, you know, because he focuses on what he likes to do, which is do bench presses. I think farmers like to do bench presses and the, and the farmers that I know like to be agronomists. They like to talk to agronomists. They like to talk about soil. They like to talk about production, they like to go out and kick the dirt and they like to touch machines. I don't know that they like to stare at a computer screen all day looking at a penny and a half move in the corn uh, markets. Am I right? Yes, sir. And just kind of like what you said about the penny and a half move, I feel like guys get on their computer when it's a rainy day and they have to be in the office and they see what markets are doing where they don't watch it every day. That's what that's why they pay us to do what we do, because we watch it for them. But I think it, it just gets a little bit intimidating for them and they don't want to I don't want to say they feel dumb but they feel a little bit it's hard for them to bring up that they don't understand some of this kind of basic stuff it's kind of a touchy subject I feel like at times so with that in mind and, and I have no problem I admitted that there's a bunch of this stuff that mm -hmm. I don't know and I don't have to necessarily I'm a marketplace guy not a grain markets guy I get what I'm good at and I don't really have to market my own grains I don't have any I rip my farm ground out 
And when I was a kid growing up, our milk went uh, to the to the to the local dairy processor and we got what they gave us. And that's kind of how it went. Things are a little more sophisticated now, even on the dairy front. Dairy farms are a great deal larger and they are going out in the futures market and contracting out, uh, you know, future deliveries of milk, et cetera. So let's start at the very beginning at the farm level. Um, and this is a great lesson for anybody that's not even at the farm level, because some of our corporate sponsor uh, ag professionals probably are like, I never want to admit it. You know, I work in ag, but I just need a need a fresher on this, too. So here's the refresher commodity marketing 101. I'm producing out here on the farm corn, wheat, soybeans, name it. They trade it all on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I produce this stuff. Now, the simple answer is I fill a semi with a bunch of corn. About a thousand bushels, I think, is roughly the weight that I can put on a semi. And I take it to the grain elevator. I can sell it and get my money right then, right? But talk to me about what happens after I take that. Uh, I've got that bushel of corn. I take it to the elevator. What are my options? And I don't mean options. What are my choices? What are my methods to sell that semi full of corn? Yeah, I guess I can take this one. I guess option one is you go across the scale and you dump and then they ask if you want to spot price it. So basically you just sell that corn, you sell the thousand bushels at whatever the contract price is, and then you add or subtract your basis. No, wait, that's spot, meaning they asked me, do I want to spot them? Meaning the day, the moment I drive across, yep. when they put on their website or they sent out a text to all the farmers in their neighborhood and said, we need corn here at... Kokomo Grain, uh, Anderson, Indiana branch, uh, bring us your corn. And so they said $6.68. I drive a semi across there, and then they're going to say, is this already priced on the futures market, or how do you want to sell it? And you say, no, I want that 1,000 bushels of corn to go at today's spot price, correct? Yes, sir. All right, so I just drove my semi load across. I said, no, this isn't priced on the futures. I just want, I saw on your on your uh, text that you sent me that you wanted corn today. I'm bringing you corn. I wanted that today's price, $6.68. And then they say, well, that was our spot price, but basis. Talk to me, Sean. Yeah, basis is a function of local supply and demand. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, kind of think the people that we're doing part of this podcast for think that is the elevator's cut or the elevator's margin, or that is not the case whatsoever. You know, what basis is, is a function of local supply and demand and transportation costs. Um, you know, I've always explained it as when a lot of grain is trying to go to a place, you know, whether it be an elevator or a crushing facility, and there's not a lot of demand for that product going out, that creates a wide basis because there's more people that are wanting to sell into that than they can get rid of. And vice versa, when those plants are really, really hungry and there's not a lot of grain that is able to come into them, that typically firms basis and it entices demand and they are trying to pay up to get that corn or soybeans into them. Perfect. So what we're talking about, and Bryce will help me uh, make this even more clear, the corn price might be $6.68. And that might be set by the markets in Chicago, right? And Correct. what I'm really hearing is 
the place then in Kokomo, Indiana might say, we're paying $6.68 because we need that corn. And then maybe in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, they had a boatload of corn that came in over the last month and they're busting their bins at the grain elevators or at the terminals or the sh- the, the shipyard there in Miss- on the Mississippi in St. Louis, wherever. And they say, it might say $6.68, but we're only paying $5.90 or $6.10. And the spread there is because they don't need it. And that's what we call basis, Bryce. Yes, sir. And just like what Sean said, there's an inverse too, where we see a lot like in the panhandle of Texas, where there might be like last year, I mean, Milo basis was a dollar plus. So the board price is say 698 right now, they were paying a dollar over that board price just because they, just because the feed yards were hungry for it. So what we just learned And this is why I like this. This is why we're making it very uh, Commodity Markers 101. We just said spot price. Okay. Spot price is today, correct? Okay. Correct. And then we said basis. We've just defined basis. Basis can be either negative, as in we just described it. In Sioux Falls, they've got so many train loads they don't need anymore. So even though the the board in Chicago might say $6.68, they say, yeah, we're only paying $6.10, which would be a negative 58 basis. Correct? Yes, sir. And then tell me about what happens in Texas when they say, crap, we don't have our bins busting. We don't have any trains here. What are they doing then, Bryce? They're paying a positive basis. So say, for instance, I'm going to give you a dollar over the board price. If you got a dollar over the board price, that's a dollar positive basis. That doesn't happen a lot though, right? Just depends on what kind of area that you're in. I mean, if you're in the area like Texas where there's a lot of feed yards and they're needing it, it's all, it's all, it all depends on your kind of location, but typically, took, typically corn belt, middle of harvest, you're not going to see a positive basis. Because there's boatloads of corn sitting around. All right. We just covered spot price and basis. Now let's go back to that hypothetical example. Sean, Bryce answered the first question. I've got a semi full of corn. I just took it off of my field and it doesn't have to be Indiana at my farm. It could be any farm, Alabama, Arkansas, where we have our, our extreme ag guys, Nebraska, it doesn't matter. And I'll, I don't want to just do what he said. What are my other options? Uh, some places let you store your grain there so you can just haul it in and they will let you, allow you to basically store your grain on price there. Typically there's fees and costs involved with that. So they'll say, they'll say, all right, I don't want, you don't want to sell it because you don't like the fact that it's, uh, the today's price plus the negative basis. You think it's going to improve Mr. Mason. So what do you want to do? And I say, I want to store it. So put that thousand bushels in storage and they're going to charge me like three cents a bushel per month or something. Right. Yep. And then, and then what do I do? I it's unpriced and, and my bushels are sitting there. And then what do I do? Uh, basically you can either choose to wait until the price comes up to a level that you are comfortable with and sell it then. Um, or, you know, you know, that's kind of really, really the only other option is to wait for it. Because if you were hedging it on the board, um, you know, typically you have bins and you wouldn't want to haul it in to the elevator and pay storage while you're also hedging it on your own in your inside your own brokerage account. Right, you're getting ahead of me using words like hedging. Okay, so I can I can let the stuff sit there. And then uh, is there anything else I need to know, Bryce? I just took my bushel of corn off my farm. I'm really good at growing corn. I'm still learning. I don't know a lot about marketing. And I either just sold it for the spot price and I decided, nope, you know what? My grandpa wouldn't have done it this way. He'd have waited because these prices seem a little low. I'm going to store it there. Uh, anything else? Any other options I have? Any other choices uh, I have? We're going to get to options. But yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, not at that point, unless I don't want to get ahead of yourself. But if, I mean, like right now, you can do a forward sale where you can sell your corn that you're going to harvest in the fall. Mm. Now, I mean, say the December contract is at six ninety eight. Okay, well, I kind of like that price. I might want to sell a thousand bushels for fall for fall delivery. So then your price is already locked now. Okay. So let's go ahead and do that example. Because again, I think some of the intimidation is people think that they're going to have to call some person at the Chicago Board of Trade that they've heard about and do all this. But the reality is, if I'm sitting here at my farm, and we are recording this in April of 2022, and I say, man, I like this October price, and I'm going to have a field come and do in October. You know what? I just want to commit to that $6.98 corn price. So do I go to my elevator? That's the, the one I take my stuff to and say, hey, I just go ahead and commit to 10 of those semi loads. I'm going to bring you 10,000 bushels of corn at $6.98. I can do that, correct? Yes, sir. And that's a contract I have personally between me as a farmer and my elevator down the road, right? Correct. Okay. Now, what about the whole board thing? What about this whole intimidating Chicago Board of Trade? What about the stuff that they're talking about when I tune into the ag radio and they're talking about one and a half cent moves on my computer screen? What's all that about? So the Board of Trade is basically a collection of buyers and sellers that you can hedge your marketing risk. You basically offload that risk to the Board of Trade to protect future prices that you will market your grain at without actually committing your physical bushels to an elevator. All right. You've used the word so much. We better get to it now. You are incapable. The two of you are incapable of talking for one <laughs> sentence without saying the word hedge to the person that's living in average America. A hedge is the thing that's out in front of their house that they have to trim once a year <laughs> because it's getting overgrown. <laughs> You can't talk about anything without hedging. So what's hedge? What's hedging mean? Bryce, Sean, whoever wants to take it, go. Yeah. So if you're hedging your grain, you are basically protecting it. That's the, if you are afraid of corn going down, you might put a hedge on. So if corn starts to fall back, you aren't fully exposed and your risk is mitigated. So you are hedging those bushels. Yeah. Well, let's talk about hedging our bets. Obviously, I'm I'm playing I'm playing the the question asker here. I I'm a little more familiar with hedging. Uh, Sean, hedging. Um, I want to uh, I want to I'm convinced that six dollars ninety eight cents is a really good number. I kind of like the fact that I can take it down to the neighborhood elevator and sell it for six dollars ninety eight cents. And I think, oh crap, you know what? there's going to be a big bunch of corn coming on because of all this uh, stuff. And I'll bet you it's going to go down to six bucks. I don't want to lose that 98 cents. How do I hedge to protect my 98 to my, to protect my 698? So what you would do in that example, it was within your brokerage account. And that is kind of the, the route that you go through hedging is you would basically sell a futures contract on the board of trade. In this example, December corn at 698, you would basically sell one contract of corn at that price. And for every cent that the futures moves above or below that, um, you know, it basically nets you back out to that 698 hedge, like Bryce said, to protect those loads at that price. Do I do that at the elevator, Bryce, or I, do I need Sylvia's Financial to do that? You would need a company like Sylvia's Financial to do that. All right. So hedge, the definition of hedge really means just 
protecting it means uh it means protecting or locking in right yep correct all right options puts calls oh my god it starts to get a little crazy here start give me some other definitions after hedge what's an option yeah so i guess i'll just kind of piggyback off sean's example like what you said okay well i'm kind of if we're at 698 i'm kind of nervous that we're going to six bucks so what else can i do besides selling a future well i can go out there and buy a put a put what that does is basically sets a floor underneath you so if we start if price starts to tick down then we are making some of that money back now we didn't sell a future so you're not gaining penny for penny on the way down but you are gaining some of that depending on what put strike you select all right so i can essentially i can hedge against losses by just committing to selling my corn at six dollars and 98 cents like we talked about i can just say i think i'm going to produce twenty thousand bushels i'm going to sell at least all half of it at six dollars and 98 cents and that's a that's i just hedged my bets right because now if it goes to five at least i've sold half of it for 6.98 am i right and I can just do that without any brokerage account. I don't need a company like Sylvia's Financial. I can just do that at the local elevator that I'm comfortable dealing with if I want. But now you just said, but hey, here's the thing. What if what if you think it might go down to five or it could go up from 698? And that's where these instruments like puts and calls start to come in, right? All right. So walk yeah, me through walk me through how those work and what it costs me and why I would do that. I think it's, I like $6.98. I'm already committing to half of it. Now the other half of my grain that I'm going to make, the other half of my corn, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Bryce, what do I do? And then you tell me. I guess I'll give one example. So like what you said, I just sold that 5,000 bushels of grain to the elevator at $6.98. But what if we go to $8? Like I'm afraid of it going up to eight bucks and me missing out on that. I'm going to get a little bit hairy here. You can buy a call, which is that gives you your upside protection, which a $7 call. I don't know what that is like a seven to $8 call spread. I know I'm going to get a little confusing with you on here where we're buying the $7 call and we're selling the $8 call above us. So what we're theoretically doing is just buying us a dollar of upside potential. Yeah. So I, I essentially, it, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my corn for six ninety eight. Period. Yep. But if it goes to eight, I can get eight if I pay for one of these calls. Correct. The call spread and roughly that's about twenty five twenty six cents, give or take, right now to do okay, that. Okay. So I gave you twenty five cents for the right to sell something for a dollar more. But what if it doesn't go up that dollar? Do I still have to give you twenty five cents? Yes, sir. You are out to 25 cents. So you take the 698 board price minus the 25 cents you spent in the brokerage for like the 673, whatever cash price. Okay. So pr- great example right there. We said, I'm convinced a 698 is a good number. I'm just going to live with it. And then I got together with my buddies at the coffee shop and they said, what are you talking about? It's going to go higher. You should, you know, you can, you can wait and sell it eight rather than actually leaving all my uh, chips on the table instead of me taking and just waiting. I protected myself at six ninety eight, but I on the off chance that it goes up to eight bucks for twenty five cents, I just gave myself the right. And if it does go up, 
I get to sell it for 25. It cost me 25 cents to get a buck and anybody would spend a quarter to make a dollar, right? Yes. I mean, typically people like those odds, but that's where you kind of play with too, where sometimes it can be more expensive than that as well. So you kind of weigh your kind of your ROI on that. Okay. Do I want to spend 40 cents for a chance to make a dollar? Probably not. So that's kind of our job to kind of come up with these options strategies for you at a reasonable price that still gives you that upside protection that you are wanting. I like it. So now the question is, what if it doesn't go all the way up? In other words, I gave you 25 cents to help me if the number went to $8. It, let's say I'm at 698. I gave you 25 cents. That way, if I have the chance to sell at $8, what if it goes to 750? Now what? So if that's the case, say if the December contract, let's say we're, we bought December call options, if that goes off the board, so when pricing ends, if that goes off at 750, then you make the 50 cents profit, but you still have to take off that 25 cents you spent. So roughly you have gained 25 cents. So okay. then take your 698 that you sold the cash for and add your 25 cents to it. And that's what you get. So the point is I use, I, I get everything that's above $6.98. It's just that it took me 25 cents to do it. So even if it's $7, only two cents above, then, then it costs me 23 cents instead of 25 cents. Correct. And but then with you doing selling the $8 call above to help pay for it, say if we go to $8.50, you only get that $8 price just because you sold that call above to make it more reasonable to spend right because it can continue to go it can eight's not the, not the not the ceiling it can go nine ten whatever but i am locked at the eight and that's what a call does i bought a call and then you said something about a call spread tell me about a call spread bryce or sean that's what we did oh yeah. that's what that that's that the act of what we just did is, is, is we just sold a we bought a call spread correct all right uh and then again to Selling a put. What am I doing when I'm selling a put? So when we buy a put, basically what a put is, it is the right to sell futures at the strike price that the put is listed at. So in this example, if we're talking a $7 put, you pay um, right now puts are like 76 cents a bushel. So you pay 76 cents a bushel for the right to sell $7 corn. That's a fixed cost mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of like Bryce explained with the call spread that you don't get back. So you're effectively putting a floor on your corn at six. What is that? 624? Yeah, sure. Six, so it cost me 70, cost me 76 cents to guarantee my $7 corn. Correct. And I do that if I think, holy hell, they're going to plant corn in every park and uh, and and campground in America, we're gonna have so much corn that this seven dollar corn ain't gonna stick around, and it's gonna go down to five. Is that what I'm doing? Yes, but but also in the same breath, you know, kind of like in Bryce's example with the call spread, you know, it's that call spread was protecting between seven and eight dollars. That put has a fixed loss, so if corn goes to eight, nine, ten, eleven dollars a bushel, all you're out is that seventy six cents. So you're putting a floor underneath your crop, but you're only losing a fixed amount if the market were to run above where we are today. 
Yeah. So you're saying I gave myself a floor period. If that, and so if it goes down to, if it gets cut in half, I'm still, I'm really good, but also I enjoy the upside if it goes up. Correct. But I gave, but I paid you for the insurance on the down. I paid you essentially put was my insurance on the downside. Yes. Are those all forms of options? What's, when I hear the word option, when I hear the option, what's what's what 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 is the word option? I'm just going through all the vernacular that you hear when you listen to markets. I mean, the two types of options are puts and calls, but from there, there is countless strategies that guys can do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's it take hours to get through them all. <laughs> we don't have hours. This is Commodity Marketing 101. We'll do hours when we come back for Commodity Marketing 201. All right. What did we miss there, Bryce? We we gave a very rudimentary example, but also it does get it can get more complex. Uh, that was just selling uh, one to 20,000 bushels of corn off of my farm in Indiana. What did we not cover that we should have to, to make sure that I understand selling that corn off my farm in Indiana? Yeah, I guess it's just knowing that risk associated to that. I mean, just like the put, you have to understand, yes, I might buy this put and spend 76 cents and not get any of that money back. I mean, that's just the risk associated with buying options. But what that does is kind of a placeholder. Yes, be like, okay, maybe I'm not comfortable. I don't know how many bushels I'm going to grow this year, Damien. Maybe I'm, I only have 500 acres at X amount of bushels per acre. I'm not comfortable with committing those bushels to the elevator. So what else can I do to protect those bushels by a put? And then what that does, it sets a floor, but like what you said, we still have that upside where if we take off to $8, I'm going to get that higher price, but I'm still going to lose my 76 cents that I paid for the option. You sit and look at this stuff every day, and it's our assertion that most farmers don't. They might have some stuff on their phone, and and this is probably a little bit of a weak spot for a lot of producers because it's there's a lot of technical technical, and there's a lot of movement, and it's also uh, they're con- they're they're committing their time and energy and resources to production generally. What's another thing that we see? I just gave the the rudimentary example, and that could be the same if I was wheat, soybeans. Anything we just did, it's the same example right there with me selling it on the spot price today or whatever, right? Yes, sir. Okay. What did we not see in that scenario? Is there another option? You talked about a lot of other options and, and, and methods and all that. Is there another simplistic thing that I need to know or do? I mean, because we can talk about selling it uh, through your your firm do we need to do it this year? Can we can we give ourselves protection and not be committed? What what are what are other things that I don't know about? Um, this might be veering off course a little bit, but one thing that you know I talk with guys a lot of bit about is basis contracts. So you know a lot of these examples that we've talked about, you know we're looking at locking in futures prices. You know whether it's you know just a straight futures contract, buying a put, buying a call. Guys can also lock in basis contracts with their local elevator and user. Um, you know, if it, let's say, you know, I'm in, from central Nebraska, so we're, you know, a corn surplus state. So if we see, you know, 10 under basis, a lot of guys will think that is a good number. And even if they don't like the futures price at $7, they can make an agreement with their elevator and lock in 10 under, future, 10 under futures and set their futures price later. Okay. 
<clears throat> do you see people doing that? Yeah. Um, yes. Bryce, when you look at what you think, uh, when you walk in to meet with a, a producer, most of the time, what do you think they're not doing? That What's the first thing they should do? I mean, should I have a bunch of my stuff sold? Should I have a bunch of my stuff protected with puts and calls? What should I do from the very basics? You know, uh, if you came into my gym and said, I've never worked out before, I'm going to start you doing some stretching, some and then some aerobics, and then a simple uh, workout routine. What's the simple workout routine that you would start somebody with? I would get educated on what your options are, like what kind of what you just said, what other options have we not talked about that are out there? I mean, that's the number one where guys don't even know, like what Sean said, don't even know what a basis contract is or if that and or if that's even a possibility one. And another thing that we didn't hit on is called a hedge to arrive contract. <clears throat> Which what, which what that does is that locks in the futures price only and not the basis. So it kind hang of- on, Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's, oh, when you're giving a new concept that is new to most people, not to you, let's repeat it again. A hedge to arrive contract does what? Locks in your futures and leaves your basis open. Locks in your future- and leaves your base open. Does that mean that the elevator can say your basis is open? We think the base is a dollar now. You're screwed, or you're saying it leaves it open, meaning there is none. It means that you don't have to lock that in right now. So, like what Sean was saying, maybe we're looking in to deliver some corn in the fall, and right now on the elevator's website it says the basis is forty cents under. So yeah. I'm going to lose the futures price minus that forty cents and maybe some point in time from now, between now and harvest, that might improve to say 30 under, then maybe I can call the elevator. Okay. I want to set that basis on my hedge to arrive contract and go ahead and lock that in at a 30 under versus a 40 under, because like what we know, the kind of supply chain issues, especially what we're having right now, basis can fluctuate throughout the year. And it does fluctuate throughout the year when, yeah. when it's harvest time, like you said, where you're from, where I'm from, the basis is terrible because it's negative, terrible because nobody needs your stuff. And then there's a time when things are a little skinny, probably what, July, August, the basis gets really good because places are getting more desperate, right? Yes, sir. In general, in general. Uh, okay. So there's other, there's other options that I have. A hedge to arrive contract is one that you'll hear when you listen to AM uh, market radio. They talk about that a lot. What's another one that I don't know about that I should know about? Is there anything on the marketing side that when I walk into your office and I say, I've never done commodity marketing before, what are you going to tell me? I would say that covers most of them for, you know, kind of the one-on-one like you're talking um, and just kind of piggyback off what you and Bryce were talking about earlier, kind of initial things that guys should kind of educate themselves with. It's kind of a rudimentary thing to us, but just know your risk tolerance. A lot of these different products have a lot more risk than others. And a lot of, and you know, a lot of it is just the producer deciding what, themselves what their goals are. Um, you know, because, you know, a lot of these tools are really good and can make, you know, really good decisions within the operation, but they can add risk levels that most people don't understand ahead of time. And that's where a lot of these products have rubbed people the wrong way at times. 
Well, there's a lot of complexity in all the advanced products that you can buy. And it does get to where then it almost like, wait a minute, am I being protected or swindled? I mean, there, there is that. Where yeah. there, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, when I look at the, the, the 101 level, commodity marketing 101 level, I think we covered a lot of stuff here. Um, when it comes to when you should be doing this stuff, you know, at the 101 level, again, we're not that advanced. Should I be doing this for next crop year? Should I be doing this for two crop years from now? What should I be doing? Can I do it for two years from now? Could do it for more years out than that. Um, I mean, there's these 24 options and futures that are trading, um, you know, so you can do it basically almost any month that a guy chooses for multiple years out. And a lot of it kind of goes back to, you know, what we were just talking about, you know, what are your goals and looking at the prices that are available and guys deciding what they're comfortable with. So Bryce said that he thinks the number one maybe uh, thing that he sees when someone's not as well-versed as they need to be. And again, that's why we're here to help these people, you know, commodity marketing 101. You said, get familiar with what is available. Get familiar with what products are available, what you can do. That way you know your, you know what options you have in your toolbox. That's what Bryce said, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, some guys think that they don't have any other option just to besides harvest the corn and haul it straight to the elevator. And that's not the case. And, and then on the other foot, people think, oh, well, the only other way that I can protect it is to forward sale. But I'm kind of nervous how much to book ahead of time because I don't know what I'm going to actually produce. So I don't want to oversell either. But then like we said, okay, what can we do then? What are my options? Okay, maybe we can buy a put then to protect your downside because you are not comfortable with committing those bushels as of now to the elevator until you get a better picture because we're talking about selling 2022 corn that we don't even have in the ground yet in most states. <laughs> right, 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 right. So um, what's, how long I can do this right up until I'm harvesting it, can I? That's the other thing about time frame. Like, you, you know, I haven't planted my corn yet. I can do this before I plant it. I can do it last month, a year ago, like you said, uh, Sean, but I can still be doing this when my combine's running and I'm bringing the stuff in, correct? Yeah, I mean, you can hedge corn even after it's in the bin. So even after you've already planted it, harvested yeah. it, put it in your bin, um, you know, you can hedge it after that as well. Basically, up until the time you get, before you go to sell it, you can hedge it. We said this was Commodity Marketing 101. Bryce, you guys at Sylvia's Financial are in the business of helping people make money. The reason you stay in business, presumably, is you help them make money by protecting their risk generally or giving them greater upside potential. Can I do this without a company like yours? I don't know that I could. I don't know that I could, but I'm, I'm really curious here. Should I concentrate on, should I just concentrate on being the best farmer and producer I can and uh, and then meet with you and say, okay, now help me market this stuff? Or do you think there's uh, operators that are just really brilliant, just do this on their own, they're on their phone all day? What do you think? I think that there is. I mean, we run to, to some guys that are very well versed and do pay attention to markets a lot. But at the same point in time, without a company like the, us, you cannot buy the calls and the puts and that stuff with your local elevators. So that's kind of what we bring to the table. And like what I said before, it's kind of our job to, to present those ideas to you at the right time mm -hmm. and find those strategies that are good for your risk tolerance, A, but also at a, an affordable price where you're not taking away from your bottom line if we go the opposite direction that we think it's going to go. 
Sean, you've uh, you're out there in, in Nebraska. Uh, let's say there's um, there's somebody that uh, you you meet with and say, you know, I really think I can help you uh, protect yourself from downside and and also help you experience greater upside. And then the uh, person says, you know what, Granddad told me all you should ever do is just buy everything and put it in the grain bin because you know what, listen to people like you, you miss the market just like everybody else does. I'm just going to put the stuff in the grain bin and wait until things are high and then haul it to town. There's sometimes that that's worked. Am I right? Oh yeah. I mean, the last couple of years have been, you know, the last two years, especially have been years that, you know, guys that have just kind of kicked a can down the road that it's worked out for them. They harvest, they, they planted, they harvested, they stored it. And then all of a sudden phew, these soybeans are $2 more than they were when I could have sold them back then. So, um, is there, is there an argument to be made that sometimes you should just be doing that all the time? You should be doing that. Never. You should be doing that. I guess it's uh it's different with every season, every market, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, these type of markets are, you know, impossible to guess. And, you know, kind of like what Bryce is saying, you know, knowing your operation, getting your risk tolerance, you know, markets are impossible to guess a hundred percent of the time. So a lot of it is just finding strategies and prices that you're comfortable with and locking in margin that you know you can add to your bottom line. Is it is it one half of the time or it's less than half the time? It doesn't work. It doesn't usually work to just be unprotected, to be unsold, does it? No. Bryce? And, yeah, and kind of piggyback off that, like we've talked about in other podcasts, Damien, just because it hasn't happened the past two years, just like your homeowner's insurance, you aren't going to go and not have any protection on it. I mean, yeah. kind of our job is to, I mean, to put it blunt, to help you not get caught with your pants down and be able to farm another year where if something crazy does happen, and we go, I'm not saying we are, but I mean, we saw $3 corn two, two years ago. If we see $3 corn again with these inputs, you're not going to be farming farming another year. So it's just putting that in front of you to make sure that you know where the risk reward kind of conversation sits for the time being. Last thing on commodity marketing 101. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, essentially it's, it's, there's times when it works out just to stick the bin in the, stick the stuff in the bin and be completely unprotected and uncommitted to anything that has worked uh, at different times throughout history. It also can leave you in a very vulnerable situation. Um, and if you're off by three bucks off what you needed to make to justify your input costs, the government throws you 40 cents to cover your increased fertility. 40 cents is a hell of a long way from $3 of uh, yeah. lost of lost opportunity, right? Um, <clears throat> when I work with a company like yours, you charge me something. How do you charge me? You charge me just on every bushel you sell? You just charge me for a fee? Because if I say, hey, man, I, I want to be knowledgeable, but I'm also just kind of like I'm knowledgeable, but I still have someone that handles my stock market uh, retirement stuff, right? I read the Wall Street Journal, but I also use this advisor. Hmm. I know how much I pay that person. What do I do when I come to a company like yours? Do you charge me just... Uh, you know, uh, to come in there and, and meet with you, you charge me every transaction. What are we doing? Yeah. So it's kind of two parts, you know, a lot of, you know, at the base level, what we are is consultants. So, you know, like we've talked, you know, our job is to help educate clients on what tools are available and what steps they can take to protect risk. So there's just a flat fee that we charge clients 
Um, and then from there, if they choose to hedge or trade in their brokerage account, you know, there is a fee for every contract. And, you know, for corn and beans and wheat, it's every 5,000 bushels. Okay. So there is a fee to buy or sell that contract. <clears throat> when I'm driving down the road and they do all the market stuff, and then I think there's a guy that sits all day and looks at a computer screen to see a penny and a half cent move in the corn markets. And I think I, I want to, if that was my job, I'd drive off the road into this lake right here because it would be that boring to me. But you guys do this, don't you? Yeah, to make it even better, we actually stare at three computer screens to see those <laughs> cent and a half moves. <laughs> right. I think we'll leave it there. I want to do a webinar where we can have interactive questions with our listeners and viewers. And here's the deal, dear viewer and listener to uh, Extreme Ice Cutting the Curve. This is a great thing for you to be sharing with the next generation. You know, maybe you've got a 15-year-old uh, son or daughter that is going to be coming into the operation. Are they talking about this in BOAG class? Probably not, because you know what I'm guessing they're talking about in BOAG class? It's been a while since I was there. Admittedly, they're probably talking about production, which is fine. They're talking about such things as livestock and, and soils and all those things. But they're probably not talking about then what you do once you've done all the great things to produce the crops that we produce. That's why I think you share this with the up and coming generation and with anybody else that can go back to the back to the basics and learn something about this. So if it was below your uh, aptitude, I understand if you are an advanced trading type of an agricultural producer, if this is something that was a little bit rudimentary for you, we appreciate you having the patience to stay with us. But I believe that there's a lot of folks that are, can be served by going back to the basics. And that's why Sean and Bryce were kind enough to come on and do this for us. His name is Sean Finley. Uh, he's a risk advisor. He's in Nebraska. Bryce Goose is in Northwest Indiana. They're both commodity uh, traders with Sylvia's Financial. If you want to learn more, where do we find you? Um, Sylvia'sFinancial.com. And also we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Sylvia'sFinancial.com. Commodity Marketing 101. Anything we missed, Sean? I don't think so. I think that kind of covers it for the one-on-one part, at least. All right. When we come back, when we do this again at the 200 level, you're going to bring in like chalkboards and schematics and really confuse the viewers. Is that what we're going to do? Yes. Yeah, lots of acronyms for you, Damien. Call spreads, put spreads, put spread versus calls, all the different kind of confusing words for you. All right. His name is Bryce Goose. His name is Sean Finley. My name is Damien Mason. Thanks for being here. Check out more of our great content at extremeag.farm. Share this with your farming and non-farming friends. And also do pass this along to the next generation who can benefit from it. This is Commodity Marketing 101. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. That's a wrap for this edition of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, brought to you by Sylvius Financial. Sylvius advisors show business-minded farmers how to integrate government programs with crop insurance, as well as crop and cattle marketing to achieve positive financial outcomes. Learn more at sylviusfinancial.com.